hit the subscribe button and the notification bell right now so you never miss an episode of Operation Truth. Send us an email, ask your questions, and very possibly we'll address your question on the air. Operation Truth, the show they don't want you to see. Now, here's your host, Lou. Hello, everyone. This is Operation Truth. My name is Lou Palumbo. With me, as always, is my co-host, Tom Fuentes. Tom is a former assistant director of the FBI with an incredibly extinguished career. Uh, career. He's also an historian. And one of the best things about Tom is how factually based he is. So there's a lot of things to talk about as usual. Unfortunately, none of them seem to be good. I always like to have conversations with you as I do almost every time I go on air, regardless of the nature of the broadcast to talk about and to remind you about the borders because the borders are really coming around to haunt us right now. So concerned about people accessing the country that are here for reasons other than to become part of this, this great society of ours. But uh, for whatever reason, this administration continues to ignore the voices that call out for reform at the border. And interestingly enough, the loudest voices have become Democrats. Although recently, I did hear Eric Adams change uh, direction when he started to speak about open borders were a good idea, which I'm struggling to understand what he meant by that. Um, One of his major donors or Individuals that worked as a consultant to his firm has come under investigation mysteriously and out of the blue. I'm wondering if any of that is motivating him. So in any case, you're looking at the country today. We are, I don't want to say going from bad to worse, but it's not getting better. You know, we're having massive demonstrations throughout our cities, New York in particular, which cost the taxpayers additional money further draining the resources of the city, manpower, et cetera. Disruption in our universities, Ivy League schools. You know, at the rate we're going, ladies and gentlemen, send your child to Harvard or Yale or any number of these Ivy League schools. They may not get jobs. I think people are going to take the shortcut. If that's what your alma mater is, you probably won't get a job because they're not going to test the water to find out if you have all the oars in the water. So just some food for thought. You know, I don't know when our children became so well-versed in geopolitics or even domestic affairs here in our country. You know, they're just on the learning curve. And as parents, and I want to go off on this tangent about the failed parenting epidemic in this country, but it's up to us to guide them and to to protect them because a lot of times they get ahead of themselves. There's that expression, a little boy's in a big man's suit. I'm dealing with that. You know, I'm six foot one. My son's taller than I am. He's 17 years old and he's aware of it. So, you know, unfortunately the brain isn't progressing as the same way his body is, but it's my responsibility to teach him. So as parents, I encourage you be act, be active in their lives, encourage them, speak to them, guide them as best you can. And I know that's a difficult task because we're being pulled in many different directions today as parents, you know, just taking care of them on a day-to-day basis, feeding them, clothing them, educating them, you know, uh, creating this whole support mechanism has become labor intensive to put it to you politely. And I would ask you not to rely on technology, the internet to, to school your children, not their iPads or their phones, because that's how they get away from us. 
a lot of poison thinking out there today. You just have to go on and take a peek for yourself. So I do want to start by talking about uh, Israel and, um, you know, the notion that after this alleged heinous act carried out by Hamas, that they would think Israel would relent in any way, shape, or form. But I do want to bring in Tom now to have a discussion with you about the credibility of those things that are being reported. Tom and I spoke off camera with the producer, TJ Stone, about this issue of the media and how they've dealt away their credibility, and they have. So now, Tom, I'd like to bring you in and have a discussion with you because we've heard about them beheading babies and raping women and women and dismembering their limbs and all types of activity. What what do we come to find out about its legitimacy attached to this, Tom? Well, first of all, Lou, the attack on October 7 was not alleged. It, was an, it occurred. Israelis were attacked by uh, several hundred Hamas members that entered the main part of Israel, over the fence, through the fence, whatever, and attacked and killed over a thousand Israelis, close to 1,400. But some of the reports that came out that when they came in, they were beheading babies and and doing some of those kind of activities uh, later were debunked. So now if you shoot and kill a baby, is that it? And you behead it or you don't behead it, you still kill that baby. So it's still a heinous crime, no matter how you, uh, you know, try to discuss it. But but there's no question that it was a vicious, horrible attack into Israel, attacking Israelis, killing as many as they could in a short period of time. And even if they didn't kill them quite as heinously as, as was reported, so what? They still killed them. But, you know, Tom, my point was when I said alleged, I was make, not referencing the, the actual date of the occurrence I was referencing to the activity that they alleged, allegedly participated in. Right. And okay. there is some significance because you emotionally drag people into things when you start talking about beheading babies or gutting mothers when they're having children in their womb or any number of these other activities. And it's incredibly important that we, we not emotionally charge this any more than we have. And we spoke about this as well off camera. Like if that in fact did take place, and they have photographs of that, and that was looked upon or inspected uh, these sites by um, officials of the Israeli government, you can understand why they're not going to pull back in any way, shape, or form. The whole issue today deals with the credibility of um, the reporting. And again, as you we all know, our political parties are now the same as our media groups. You know, our, our media outlets have decided to become extensions of our political parties. Yeah, the but problem is we don't know who's telling the truth when these reports come out. Is it fake news or not fake news, politically motivated or not politically motivated? You know, at the day of the attacks, 100 percent of Israeli citizens were not behind Netanyahu. It was more like 50-50. And there were also reports that came out, at least uh, last week, I heard a report that had been given to an Israeli newspaper by an Israeli citizen who survived uh, the Hamas attack, his allegation was that he reported to Israeli military guys that were coming into the area responding to the attack, and he reported to one of the uh, tank commanders that he pointed to a house and said, I just escaped from that house. There is a Hamas member in there holding about six or eight Israeli family members hostage in that house, and it was on Israeli soil. And now this guy claims to the newspaper 
that the Israelis, uh, the tank commander, just blasted the house and wiped it out, killed everybody in it, killed the Hamas guy, but also six or eight Israeli citizens in the process. Now, that's a wild story, highly inflammatory. Is that true or not true? We have no way to really know. But it was reported to an Israeli newspaper. And and that therein lies the problem today, because we're struggling, as you just mentioned, to understand what is the truth and what isn't. I want to bring in Christian real quick. Christian, I have just a couple of quick questions for you, sir. The first one lends itself to the economic impact of this little episode going on in the Middle East on our our uh, economy. And we, we've talked about, Tom and I have talked about the fact that we're struggling to understand how this slipped under the radar screen, to put it to you politely, you know, what is the probability that they were unaware that this was being staged? And I'm the last, well, a couple of podcasts ago, guys, I mentioned the fact that our current president, when we started talking about Putin invading the Ukraine, he said we could tolerate a mild or a small incursion. I'm wondering if they were thinking this was the small incursion that turned out to be a whopper. And Tom, not for anything, but was it more than two or three hundred? Hundred Hamas that um, before I come to Christian more than two or three hundred Hamas that did in fact violate the sovereign borders of this country. Yeah, there were was some like... estimates of anywhere from five hundred to a thousand. Interesting. But we don't know the exact number. It was a huge number that came across, and uh, in terms of Israel not knowing that something was coming, it's been proven now that Egypt warned Israel that Hamas was preparing an attack, and. Supposedly, if Israel had the sources that their intelligence services, along with assistance from CIA and and, uh, MI6 from England, that they claim to have these great sources of information, um, Hamas went so far as to build a replica or a mock village that they could practice training on to attack and, and kill Israelis. And so you have so many indications that that uh, Netanyahu should have known an attack is coming from Hamas. Now, again, did they think it would be a mild incursion and they were willing to accept a few hundred Israelis getting killed just to justify going into Gaza? We don't know. At this point, we don't know. And and I'm going to come to you, Christian, right now after I just make this comment. I, I finally find it highly implausible that we, we, all of us in the intelligence world could have missed this. Uh, this slipped by the radar, or didn't hit the radar screen. I don't, I don't understand it. I did ask you about this particular topic, Christian, and I also brought up this concept of economic impact on the country and even perhaps globally. Your thoughts, sir? Well, I think it's going to impact a lot of things. One thing that you can, you can go look at is that we put an export ban on guns saying that guns were going in the hands of terrorists or undesirables, which may or may not be the truth behind the realization that gun control is trying to trying to be forced upon us. But that may be directly results of what's happening in Israel. That's first and foremost. Two, airlines are suffering. You've got economic impacts against travel, hotels, car rentals. I mean, if we're talking about economics, just economics, it's a disaster. <clears throat> What's really scary is the whole region is continuing to get worse and worse by the day of the week. And as this continues to fester, the retaliation that I'm thinking is coming is not just a military-style Hamas, Hezbollah, ISIS, Al-Qaeda. A lot of these can continue to get together. They have the same natural 
enemy according to what they, they feel. And that's a naturally will progress them more aggressive against Israel and Israel's interests or people who align, align themselves with Israel. That's going to have fear factors, right? Fear does keep people at home. That's going to be economics at 101, where you're not going to have the money being spent. The economies are going to suffer. People aren't going to travel. So the impact, even though this is not about economics, is being felt already. We're seeing it here. We're not traveling over there. I can tell you that airlines have started to say, look, we've got State Department warnings. Don't travel over there. Those things are going to have a major impact on the earnings of hospitality, airlines, car rental companies, and so forth, especially small local businesses in Israel and so forth. Can I just interject something on mm-hmm. the heels of your conversation? And Tom, I think you're in tune with me on this as well. Our State Department has posted a global a global uh, travel warning for Americans, not just limited to, to the Middle East. It's a global implication. And that lends itself to, again, to your discussion about how this is going to imp- impact our country, although perhaps people will just start visiting places in our country, um, Christian. I mean, maybe that's a possibility instead of going to Europe or the Middle East or, you know, Asia or whatever the case may be. But the implication is there. You know, uh, you know, I, now, I, the problem the problem with that is that you've got the president and everybody else warning Americans that we're going to be attacked mm-hmm. here. And people mm-hmm. common sense says that we've let hundreds of Hezbollah and Hamas and other bad guys uh, over our open border, you know, southern border and northern border to enter our country. We don't know who they are. We don't know if, how many hundred gotaways might be terrorists that are already planning something. So when you see the demonstrations uh, this last weekend, let's say, in Washington, in New York, in other big cities, and you're thinking maybe you were going to take a trip to Europe or somewhere else, and you say, well, I'm going to do the safe thing. I'm going to cancel that trip to overseas and stay home. Okay, where's what is safe here? Given the mm. most recent warnings by FBI Director Christopher Wray last week that they have finally woken up that maybe MAGA isn't the biggest threat to Americans, but these Hezbollah, Hamas, and other terrorists that have entered our country that we have no idea who they are, where they're from, or what they're planning, maybe that's a bigger threat, meaning our country isn't exactly safe either. The change from currency systems to fully digital cashless societies has intensified fear around the world. In mid-September, Wells Fargo and Truist Banks planned major layoffs as an impending 2024 recession has been predicted by many economists. Many analysts are predicting silver will hit an all-time high in 2024. That's why you need to own silver as a hedge. Green energy demands will possibly turbocharge silver prices to 50, 100, even 300 an ounce, according to many experts around the world. Silver is a proven hedge against inflation. Since 1971, silver has returned over 11% to an average yearly. Hard Asset Management is a trusted leader in precious metals and rare coins for nearly 40 years. We have the guaranteed lowest prices, fast and easy ordering, expedited shipping, with award-winning customer service available 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. CST, Monday through Friday. So protect yourself from the chaos. Invest in stability with Hard Asset Management. Call now and get your free Hard Asset Management information kit on how easy it is for you to own silver. 844-426-4653 free delivery and extra silver with every $10,000 bought. Use promo code 007. Yeah, I I think we're living with that reality based on what's being reported to us. Um, You know, uh, Christian just brushed 
touched on this gun control discussion, which I want to put everybody at ease. There's not going to be any gun control, guys. Uh, I think we're up to 27 states now that have constitutional carry, which is basically your right to carry a concealed weapon in these 27 states without a permit, without, without any type of vetting process, other than the one that might occur during a NICS check, a national instant criminal background check, determine if you're a felon. But we're going in the wrong direction. And I, I now have a question, guys. Either one of you can can answer this. But uh, my understanding is that they're actually starting to arm the Israeli populace. Tom, Christian, either one of you jump on that one. Yeah, that's true. They're, they're asking for financial assistance to buy not just firearms, machine guns for their population. <laughs> So they want to go all in. And, uh, you know, as, as a former firearm instructor and SWAT team leader and all of that, I can tell you, you're not going to hand one of these to a, a citizen, well, even if it's not a machine gun, just any, you know, powerful weapon and say, here you go. Here's where the trigger is. Here's the end of the barrel. Don't stick your hand in front of it when you pull the trigger <laughs> and, uh, you know, and turn them loose. It's just not going to happen. And I think that you know, but you're right. We we ban these weapons here, or we want to make it very difficult for Americans to get a hold of this kind of weaponry. But we're going to give it away in Israel to everybody in the country. Don't forget the Ukraine. We're arming the Ukraine as well. But just so oh, everybody yeah. understands factually what's going on in the country, and the majority of the states in this country, they have what we call a class three state. And you can acquire a tax stamp from, I believe it's Treasury or ATF. I have to go back and Remember which one has their fingerprint on that now. And you can buy a full automatic weapon here. Florida is a class three state. Nevada is a class three state. North Carolina, with the exception of Mecklenburg County, is a class three state. South Carolina is a class three state. Tennessee, Alabama, Louisiana, Mississippi, Arizona, class three state. New York used to be a class three state until 1981. They stopped their inter- interrupted their ability to transact class three weapons, which isn't just submachine guns, full automatic weapons, but short barrel rifles and sort of shotguns, things of that nature. Um, th- this whole discussion about gun control in this country, it's, it's disturbing because it's so disingenuous because there is a fix to uh, this problem of the mentally ill and emotionally disturbed people getting their hands on guns and committing these mass shootings as we just witnessed in Lewiston, Maine. There's a way to address this, which they just keep stepping around. Um, I want to go back to you, Christian, if I can again, and just get a little more input from you as far how did how did this not hit the radar screen, this incident? Stay with us. We'll be right back. It's Joseph M. Wanted with the Constitutionalist Politics. Tune in for the upcoming episode for May 4. Issue, never the issue, as well as Yes, Peter Serafin, Rosemary Downer, Don Gallade, Gista the Rapper, Cy Young, Jason Perry, and upcoming Jack Hagar, Andrew Thorpe King, Trent Rock, Ed Temple, Chris Morehouse, and more. Please tune in to Constitutionalist Politics. God bless. Well... How did it not hit? Because they used a a storyline that says that they're worried more about the gun exporting hurting innocent people through terrorism, or as Thomas said perfectly, the bad guys getting those guns. Look, here's what it's all about. Here's what they're trying to do with this gun law. 
They are trying to control the gun sales by eliminating export sales. Now, that's a vast majority for some manufacturers, military, civilian, both. So the exporting of guns is a massive financial blow to some of the manufacturers here in the United States. This is the real story behind why they did it. If you hear anything else, it's not correct. This is the reason they did it was to hurt the financial side of the gun manufacturing industry because exports, in some cases, some of these manufacturers are selling to German military as well as other European countries, their arms, and those sales are now halted. No explanation why other than to say, we feel strongly that those guns you're manufacturing that are going to legitimate buyers, whether it's government or lawful citizens, which is private hands, is a, a recipe for disaster. So when you start to hear things, you heard it first here from me that says the reason they're doing it is to hurt financially, to eliminate as many of these gun manufacturers so they're out of business and they thus can't create the guns. That's the facts. I do want to tell you, gentlemen, something and our listeners, our viewers, that the gun sales in this country are going through the roof. I just came back from New York. Yep. And contrary to the the perception that people have of New York, there are two counties that are east of the city. They're part of Long Island, as is Brooklyn and Queens. They're the same landmass. There are lines in the gun stores to get in. Mm. This isn't just happening in New York, guys. It's happening across the country. And tragically, that isn't really the answer here. The answer is to try to... Um, Put the, put the public at ease to make them believe that they're safe, which is why they were going out and buying guns. But if you're going to acquire guns, ladies and gentlemen, please do two things. Please train with them and please read the law. Because if you don't do both of those things at some point, you're going to have a problem. But as far as the gun exporting, I just want to tell you something you'll find interesting. Uh, Fabrique Nationale out of Herstal, Belgium, has a government contract. They supply this M4 to our government. They have a contract. So does HK, which is out of Germany. Um, SIG Arms, which was at one time in West Germany. Factories have been closed there, but they're being produced in Exeter, New Hampshire. So what Christian is saying is quite interesting because even if they interrupt the export for their misaligned uh, reasons, there are still gun manufacturers in this world that can facilitate access to these weapons. I just mentioned two of them. There's CZ, which is out of Czechoslovakia. Israel does manufacture an IMI, Israeli military uh, industry. Um, th there are weapons floating around, but the thing to do is to intelligently regulate them and stop lying to the public that the reason we have crime at a rampant rate in our cities or we have mass shootings is because the average uh, American person is committing these heinous acts. And before I forget, Christian, I have to talk to you before we forget this conversation today about this citizen's bank failure. This is critically important for you guys to listen to. I want to finish this conversation and come to you with this, this discussion. Um, the bottom line is it would be helpful if we abandon this practice of just intentionally misleading the public, or as some might refer to it, lying to us, whether it's the borders, borders, what's driving in your major cities, this whole transition to electricity, which everybody's starting to realize might be a bust. 
you know, this ill-conceived notion of shutting down the pipeline, the Keystone Pipeline, and entertaining Line 5 going into Michigan was going to be beneficial to us. I don't know where this came from. Our foreign policies, ladies and gentlemen, they speak for themselves. Afghanistan. Right now, and you guys can jump on this also as well because there's a lot to talk about. We've had 33 staged attacks on our military installations in the Middle East. I think we've had two responses. Tom, do you want to talk about the responses, by the way, if you don't mind? Yeah, we, we retaliated in a big way and bombed two empty warehouses. So that there you scare, go. That, that scares them <laughs> to death that we did that. <laughs> um, I, I do want to come to you right now, uh, Christian, about this whole bank failure. What's going on? What happened here today? They ran a depositor's money. They loaned it out 30, 40 to one. And here's what's interesting about that. Everybody knew that bank was in trouble for months. In fact, it probably was run off for six to eight months. Be what specific, they did was they sir, when you say everyone, when you say everyone, the feds, me, the feds, oh, the feds knew. let's be oh, specific knew. about who knew. Feds knew. Who, thank you. Thank you. The feds serve or the FIC really at the it's the office of currency and cash OCC, which is kind of the federal monitor. If you will, the thing is everybody knew this bank was in trouble earlier this year. Now, maybe not to the depths, but they knew Tom. You could pick up. You could pick up on this conversation until we can get uh, Christian back on. You heard this bank failure today yourself, correct? Yeah. The point Christian's trying to make is that you know the authorities knew this bank was in serious trouble and that this was coming, and then all of a sudden everybody's shocked and outraged when it actually happens. So this and, and uh, other banks as well that are in trouble. So you know we've been hearing about this now for a year at least, that various banks are going to go under. And we've seen some, but it's been so incremental. And and they've promised that FDIC and, and the other insurance covers of bank accounts would make bank account holders whole, that they would get reimbursed for all their money and don't worry about it. And, and uh, the government will take care of you. And now you have two more banks, one for sure, and then one on the line to just go out of business or severely curtail business for a while and people be unable to get their deposits out. Now, how long that's going to last, we don't know yet, but but yeah, we have the authorities have known this was coming and, you know, business as usual up until now. I want to come back to Christian, if I may. Christian, um, you, you did go a little synthesized on us there. But I was asking you about this um, mm -hmm. collapse, and you mentioned the fact that this was something that was known about, and we kind of lost you at that point. I'd like you to continue with your conversation, if you don't mind, sir. Sure. Banks are monitored in real time, Lou, and Thomas knows this as well. You can't just have a bank fail instantly without understanding that, the, that they are going under at some point prior to them closing their doors. There's no way that Citizens Bank, on a Friday, closing stores, and the day before, the feds are like, well, that's a great bank, that's a healthy bank. There had to be some intervention attempted to either sell the bank prior to closing its stores. And what's interesting about that is not only did the bank close its stores, but it's holding people's monies. And two, those monies may not be returned over the $250,000 threshold. But if you do have $20 million in there and you lose everything but two fifty. dollars you're still on the hook for the loans. That's the best part. They're enforcing the loans against people. Where's, where's the accountability when something like this happens, uh, Christian? I mean, obviously, the the people that manage the buildings, the chairman, the CEO, 
you know, their whole command staff, as we would refer to it in law enforcement, where's the accountability when they allow something like this to happen? Number one. And number two, is it incumbent upon them to notify their clients that there's financial volatility? I mean, I understand why they didn't. We both understand why they didn't, but where's the accountability guys? Tom, I want to go to you with this question. Okay. Why, why we, uh, yeah. Christian's yeah, working I'll through give, his, uh, yeah. that question. I will be in a second. Go okay. ahead, Tom. Tom, go ahead, buddy. Well, in terms of uh, what do we want for accountability? Bank officers to go to jail for not, you know, their due diligence or not informing their customers that this is coming and they could lose their money and and uh, they might find a way to divide. Like you say, if somebody has an account with $20 million and they know it's only insured up to 250000 well, then maybe you know, maybe they need to pay attention that a particular bank where they're putting their kind of those kind of assets into that bank, that they ought to be more careful knowing that the bulk of their money is not insured. And you know, you know, Tom, let me interrupt. Let me interrupt for a second. When I said accountability, Tom, it didn't just lend itself to criminal. I'm talking about civil recourse also. Well, civil thing. accountability. I mean, yeah. Sue the bank, sue the bank holders, sue, I mean, the bank officers, uh, you know, all of the above. But again, you know, the bank's position is going to be, well, we didn't want to give a warning to our account holders because it might have forced a run, then guarantee their demise, guarantee a bank run that they couldn't match and and a lack of confidence in their bank. So that's why they try to keep that a secret from everybody until it's too late. Um, Christian, you want to finish up with your comments, sir? We lost yeah, you. He's right. with us. Yeah, yeah, Thomas is right. And they're not going to sit there and let people know what's about to happen, which is when they scuttle the bank, which they scuttled it, right? They didn't tell anybody it was coming, that the warning signs weren't there. You'd have to do some kind of hardcore due diligence and people don't have access to those those records. What I've always said to people is this, if you keep 250,000 or more in your account and the bank goes under, that's your fault because we all know the banks are in trouble. There is a massive exodus of cash from the banks going into either treasuries or gold. Gold obviously is at you know, it's all time high. And there might be other assets in which, or at least class asset classes that they want to go into. But nobody should sit there and think that it's not going to happen to them because I can assure you, Citizens is not the first, not the last. And I would, I would expect to see some, some horrific things sometime by the middle to the end of first quarter, more banks are going to go under. My question only is, is how much money will that equate to in the economy? How much, like like Silicon Valley Bank, that was an $86 billion direct deposits. See, when you times that by the 30 leverage that they had, how many of those loans are non-performing as well? So it's not just you know, they lose on the treasury that the deposit monies are ultimately bought with, but two, two, you've got non, non -re non-performing loans on those reoccurring loans. So how much more are the banks going to be losing because the economy is slowing down fast? Hey, Christian, let me ask you part. a question, if I may, sir. This Silicon, where they had the $86 billion that took the hit, and there were yeah. a lot of high-level high people in that bank. I happen to know some of them and work for some of them. But the government made them whole. Am I correct? Is that going to happen here? No. Interesting. No, Guys, not I politically wanna... connected. Remember, I, Lou. I understand. Listen, you're, you're only going to get a handout if you are if you know somebody, right? It's not going to be like you're walking down the street and they just come by and they say, hey, aren't you a citizen's bank depositor? Well, yes, I am. You ain't going to get Jack. No, you're not politically connected. You're just anybody else out there. Remember what Janet said, little Yellen said a number of months ago, we're not going to bail out those bottom banks. 
The top ones that are too big to fail, possibly, but the little guys are gone. Citizens, as big as it may be, it's not one of the top five or 10 banks. I was under the impression it was a little higher in the ratings. I guess I was wrong. Guys, I want to I want to tr transition, if I may, something both of you can can speak to as well. Um, this investigation being carried on by the House, they've discovered a $40,000 check that, if I understand it correctly, came from China. Tom, I want to start with you on this. Well, they're talking about money that that went to somebody in the Biden family or uh, Joe Biden's brother. And then they they pay from that. As soon as he gets the money the next day, they're writing a check to Joe Biden for the amount. So I think last week or the week before they came up with two hundred thousand dollar check that was paid to Joe Biden. And on the memo line at the bottom of the check, it said loan repayment. And everybody's, you know, the Democrats are all saying, well, that could be a loan repay. It could, you know, it could. Well, the next question is, Joe Biden has been on a uh, senator's salary. He's been on a congressional salary for about 150 years. And he suddenly has, let's say it was a loan. Where did he get the $200,000 to just hand out to his mm -hmm. brother and say, here, no, you know, I want to help you out. Here's 200000 And then mm -hmm. the brother later, when the money comes in from China, writes a check to Joe Biden or his wife wrote the check uh, saying, okay, here's your $200,000 for the loan you gave us. So, you know, the whole thing is fishy. And uh, then there was a separate check for $40,000. And, you know, they just keep coming up with the excuses and no, no uh, proof, let's say, or the documentation of the original loan. That's a loan uh, repayment. Let's see the loan. Let's see the records of that. Where'd that come from? Let's see the source of the 200000 for Biden to pay his brother in the first place. You know, so, Tom, can I ask you a question, if I may? And I apologize for interrupting you. But our, our House of Representative members that are pursuing this, Jim Jordan and um, who's the other gentleman from Kentucky? Um, Comer. Comer? Comer, yeah. yeah. Jamie Comer. Right. Have they hired like a former... FBI agent who was specialized in financial crimes to help them. Assist. Yeah, they have a number. They have a no number of experts. The problem is that they don't have it's not that they're lacking expertise to do the investigation. It's that they're lacking cooperation with the agencies that must. So when they when they issue a subpoena, it's like pulling teeth to get what, whoever they issued it to to comply the bank records that they're getting, especially now when they're going through these circuitous routes around the world through the LLCs controlled by the Bidens, that's not easy. And, and when they when the government issues a subpoena, having done thousands, when they issue a subpoena, it's not like they get that record right away. That could take a couple of months to get it. If it's banks from overseas, it could take longer. So the fact that these committees have only been in existence for 10 months now, and they've gotten this far, is pretty amazing actually to me as an investigator, given that, People are not complying immediately. Another good example is, you know, that they've identified 82,000 emails by Joe Biden where he uses a fake name. And right away, you know, the National Archives, when, when they subpoena those emails and want to see what they're about, they turn around and say, oh, no, no, we need permission from President o former President Obama or we need some this and that. So they're giving the runaround. What, when they issue subpoenas to the FBI, the FBI rarely complies enthusiastically. They, mm. they try to stall on complying with all of this information. So given the effort 
to thwart the efforts of both committees, uh, Comer's committee and and uh, Jim Jordan's committee. It's pretty amazing they've gotten as far as they've gotten, given given the lack of cooperation. Now that's why the House, you know, began the impeachment inquiry investigation because that gives them more power, more leverage to get these subpoenas complied with. But it's still not a lot, and they don't have the ability to prosecute themselves. So the best they can do is gather so much evidence that nobody can deny that the evidence is there and then try to get the Department of Justice to actually go forward with the prosecution. Good luck with that. You know, they've been completely obstructed by Merrick Garland and Christopher Wray and the FBI. So, so really, these investigations are going in slow motion, not because of the committee or not because of their lack of expertise to support them, but because the agencies themselves are slow walking everything. Rare coin prices have exploded in the last three years. Hard Asset Management, one of the world's largest precious metals and rare coin dealer firms, makes recommendations on what to buy for collectors who know what they're looking for. We maintain one of the world's largest rare coin inventories for individuals seeking to diversify precious metals and rare coins. We can make strong recommendations in areas that we feel have the strongest potential for long-term growth. Call today, 844-426-4653 to receive our free rare coin newsletter or register online at bmcham.com. Free delivery and extra silver with every $10,000 bought. Use promo code 007. You know, Tom, I, I want to switch topics to something, again, that's domestically related. And I believe in our one of our prior uh, podcasts, we had mentioned the uh, training facilities uh, in this country. Christian brought to light one that was... Um, located in Tennessee, and I'm hoping we can get Christian back because I wanted to speak to him about this. TJ, if you would help us, sir. The other up in Hancock, New York. Tom, give us a little more background on what these, what's, who's training in these facilities, number one, and the nature of this training, if you, ha you have any insight on that. I don't. Sorry. I don't know what the, I know from past investigations, you know, going back to, back in the day when I was in the FBI, we had different facilities like that that were done by some of the right-wing extremist groups in the United States, the, the uh, Aryan Nation and the, you know, several other, The Order is another example, the Ku Klux Klan. And many of these organizations, militia groups, were training in remote areas. Somebody owned a piece of land where they could set up a firearm range and, and do their training on. And, uh, and it was very difficult to get information about them. And then the FBI went after them as domestic terrorism, highly successful with the with the Klan, with the order, with some of these other groups. Um, in this situation, if these groups are being run by Hamas or Hezbollah, this is international terrorism. This isn't domestic terrorism. And, you know, the FBI up until about a month ago was defining domestic terrorism as MAGA and uh, parents going to school board meetings, threatening school board members, you know, issues like that, going to, to uh, abortion clinics and protesting. Boy, they were going to bring a stop to that. And of course, the unrelenting investigation of anybody that was near the Capitol on January 6th. So those were the top priorities that the FBI listed as domestic terrorism. And all of a sudden, after October 7, and the information comes out, that 
coupled with the open border for a couple of years, which Christopher Wray, FBI director, had already spoken about in congressional testimony several months ago. What a threat that was and how dangerous it was. Of course, he didn't do anything about it, but administration didn't do anything about it. Now, all of a sudden, we're worried, geez, we've got these terrorists within our borders right now. Tom, it beckons the question about treason, you know, because you engage in activities that threatens the security of this nation. That's a treasonous act. And that that discussion that I brought up a couple of times uh, took place with Senate hearings about six months ago or so, where he made a point, Christopher Ray, excuse me, made a point of saying that the southern border of the United States was a threat to our national security. Also mentioning that every 12 hours we're opening up an investigation regarding China's activity in the U.S. I was hoping to get Christian back on because he had some in, some insight into um, these training facilities that I that I understand they're they're kind of they're Islamic based, and I'm not saying that because I'm trying to get people amped up. I happen to have friends from all walks of life coming from New York City. You know, I hate to say it, you just don't discriminate in New York. You you don't have that luxury. So I do know many many good people who are Muslim. Uh, Islam's a different discussion, this radical element that's attached to it. There's something I wanted to ask you about, Tom. Maybe you can help answer this question. Um, you happen to know the last time we had any radical element of Judaism burning off flags or threatening the existence of the United States and attacking our citizens throughout the world. And I just hate to say this to you guys, but if you take a look at Islam, not only do they have a radical element, they have a number of radical elements that actually profess this. Would you agree and support what I just said, Tom? Well, you had the um, Jewish but, Defense League, but they did, you know, targeted attacks on people that they, they felt uh, threatened, is, threatened, right. threatened Israel or threatened a Jewish person somewhere. And they, and they went after them to try to get them or kill them or whatever. But it was not a major terrorist attack on the country. It wasn't focused on the United States. Yeah. And I know, Tom, this is your wheelhouse because I remind everyone, Tom ran the international operation for the FBI, the 60 or 80 field offices and its agents. So if anybody has an understanding of what's gone on in this country regarding the activity of groups, not necessarily subversive in nature, they're pretty overt about what they're doing, who are interested in destroying this country, Tom could speak to it. But I want to say something else while we're on this topic of Israel. You know, they're they're now preoccupied with destroying the state of Israel. Guys, please pay attention. Israel is attached to Western civilization. It's a democracy similar to ours. This mantra that you're hearing today in all these pro-Palestinian rallies, and I have no aversion to exercising your right to free speech, first of all, but I do think we have to understand where it's coming from and what it's who it's directed to. I don't understand what the upside to all of this is, and I don't understand why you're allowed to engage in activity that threatens another and not have a consequence attached to it. You know, we have uh, elected officials, House of Representative members, Tlaib and Omar, to start with, Jayapal, that spew anti-Semitism on a regular basis. Where is the accountability? Right now we're listening to Jalapal, um, to, uh, excuse me, Tlaib, talking about from the from the river to the sea or whatever the expression is, which, which lends itself to the total annihilation of Israel. How is that speech, which incites violence and fuels violence, permitted under the Constitution? I didn't read that in the Constitution, and I've read the Constitution. 
Constitution, guys. I read the first 10 amendments of the, of the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. Did I miss something, Tom? And my answer, before I go any further, so no one is any any confusion as to where I stand. Talib and Omar, to start with, should have their citizenship revoked. They were naturalized. They had the good privilege of coming into this country via a couple of our former presidents that apparently didn't really have an understanding of what they were doing at the time. Strip them of their citizenship, remove them from office, and deport them. And anyone else that spews things that are contrary to the pre preservation of this nation. And guys, and if you don't think this way, I don't know what to say to you. If you think it's okay to continuously tear at the fiber and the order that this country represents or that we're trying to promote represents, then, then continue to support them. Both of them, by the way, were heavily involved in defunding your police. I know too much about this discussion, more than I'm going to speak to you today. But that's how I feel. And you know what? Maybe you should start calling the White House and telling him you'd like them first to have them both removed from the from office and call the, call the Congress also while you're at it, because that's the mechanism that will do it. Take this citizenship and send them back to this place that they so love. You know, I hate to say this to you, and I apply this to everyone the Irish, the Italians, the West Indians, Puerto Ricans, and the people from the Middle East. If you love Palestine so much and you feel it being treated in such an egregious manner, please pack your things and go there. Stop disrupting our cities, interfering with traffic, which prevents people from getting medical aid at times, children, women, etc., and go back to this place. Or if you'd like to conduct yourself in an orderly manner, then comply with the law. You're not allowed to shut our city streets down on the Brooklyn Bridge. I don't know wherever you got that. No, where did that notion come from? And shame on the police department of the city of New York and this mayor for allowing this to happen. Guys, everybody has to have boundaries. Me, Tom, Christian, everyone. You have to have boundaries. What if we, Tom and I, decided to walk down one of the lanes of the Brooklyn Bridge one day, which meant traffic couldn't drive through it? I wonder how long that would last about 30 seconds before they took us into custody. Why do we have so many rules for so many people? Look, I don't like what's going on in the Middle East. I don't like to see anybody suffer or get hurt. It's just unfortunately something that's attached to the reality of this journey. I don't know what the answer is right now in the Middle East, to be very candid with you, but whoever thought it was a good idea to invade this sovereign nation, Israel, and that they would not respond to you in the manner in which they have, I don't know what, what, where, where you're living. Because the one thing about Israel is they're consistent. They will do whatever it takes to preserve their nation. I sincerely hope this country stays on track with supporting Israel Israel unconditionally. And I want to say something else, and I'm going to turn the floor over to Tom to kind of close for us today. Without the United States, there won't be an Israel. Plain and simple. We are going to have to militarily start to support them. Tom and I spoke about this off screen before, off camera. I don't believe in putting our children in foreign countries. We will stand here and I'll be the first guy with you, believe me when I tell you, and defend our land. This thing about sending our children to come home in body bags or emotionally in pieces, physically in pieces, doesn't work for me. And shame on this government for engaging in this practice. I witnessed it in Vietnam, as did Tom. That's our generation. 58,000 Americans. We slaughtered another 5,000 in lands where they hate us in the Middle East. Enough is enough. We have enough technology, guys. Believe me, I am all too familiar with it. We don't have to put another boot on the ground. Tom might not agree with that. I'm going to let you close on this note today, Tom. Well, you're right, Lou. I don't completely agree with it. I don't, I'm not sure that Israel, if they stay on the path that they're doing in Gaza, and I'm not saying it's not justified given the attack that they went under, 
but the continued attack to try to get Hamas leaders and then the number of Palestinians that get in the way, well, collateral damage, too bad. But it's the images that are going out worldwide, not just riling up hundreds of thousands of people here that are in the streets, but we're talking about the neighbor neighboring countries around Israel. Egypt has stayed out of this so far. Jordan has stayed out. They're, they've both gotten along pretty well with Israel lately. But some of these other countries, if all of a sudden it goes too far, other countries are promising to band together and attack Israel. And if that happens, I'm not sure if the U.S. is in a position to save Israel. It could turn into another Ukraine before this is over with. Interesting observation, Tom. Guys, we're going to close. I just want to mention to you some of the topics we're going to bring up in the next um, podcast. It's going to it's going to we're going to touch upon our nuclear submarines in the area of Israel. And we're also going to bring up this discussion about does Israel have nuclear weapons? Seems to be some, uh, I would say, difference of opinion. We're going to get into both of those topics on the next podcast. In the interim, I encourage you to become part of this conversation. We're trying to take this country in a different direction. Tom, myself, Christian uh, Briggs, TJ Stone, our mentor, Brian Williams. This is not about us doing a podcast to entertain you. I'm not here to entertain you guys. And people that know me know that about me. I, I encourage you. It's operationtruthofficial at gmail.com. Please ask people to listen. We also want to expand and change this platform so we can get into the brains of more people. We're not telling you what to think. We're providing you food for thought. We want you to start to think. But please get up your rear ends in November, next November, not this one, and vote. And if you're happy with the direction of this country, then keep voting for the people that have created this border issue, the, in, this rampant crime in your major city, this unbelievable financial burden we live under, our foreign policies. <clears throat> Guys, that's it for today. Thank you. We're going to talk about this nuclear submarine issue, issue in the Mediterranean, and we're also going to talk about nuclear weapons and Israel. Thank you for joining us. And again, it's Operation Truth Official at gmail.com. Tom, I thank you as always. Thank I, you, Luke. I, I, I can't tell you how much I enjoy talking to you because I learned so much from you. And I referred to your wife as Mrs. Fuentes, not by her first name. And there was a reason I did that, Tom. See you next week, guys.